Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life to the full. A strong claim, if I ever heard one. It's articulated throughout Scripture in all sorts of other ways. Like, I've come to show you what the Father is like, what God is like. I've come to show you what the divine, what ultimate reality, what, I don't know, the force, (laughs) what it's really like. He says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus here not being exclusive, but being specific. I'm the way, I'm the only one coming for you. Follow me, he says, to some of the most least likely individuals in society at that time. Follow me, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's not being exclusive, he's just being honest and specific that everyone's living away. Everyone is living away. And we stand here today, many of us, not all of us, there's a lot of people in this room full of doubt, full of questions, aren't a follower of Jesus, aren't sure what to make of all this anymore. Maybe you came up in it. But there's a whole lot of us here who are simply um, trusting, full of faith, maybe have a, a, a level of holy certainty that the way of Jesus is the best possible way to live. If we follow him, we are drawn deeper and deeper into this abundant life, this life of heaven. If we trust what he has done and what he has, what he has done, what he did on the cross and the resurrection and what he is doing, there's something that begins to open and unlock in us. The first Christians were simply called the way. People who walked around in a certain way. <laughs> they walked a certain path in the world. And this today is what this Sunday is about, what this teaching time is about. This is about reclaiming the first name that was given to us, the church, the way. People of the way, people of the way of Jesus. We're all familiar with the the, the passage, the truth will set you free. Actually comes from the scripture, not like X-Files or Star Trek or The Office. The truth will set you free, but we lop off the first part of the verse, which was, if you adhere to my teachings, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you follow me, if you walk in my way, you'll begin to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Not if you follow me, then I'll love you. Not if you follow me, then I'm like happy with you. No, no, but if you want to draw near and step into the abundant life offered, If you want to move into the water, the water's free to go into, but you may not want to go into it, then follow me and that truth will unlock true freedom. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, I pray that we as a church this morning, Lord, that for some of us, our value of who you are would increase. Lord, that there would be a resolve in our hearts. Lord, to be faithful to the path that you've shown us. That there'd be resolve in our hearts to respond to the amazing grace poured out for us. The unmerited favor and love that you have poured out on us. That today would be a day where we we, we turn it up a notch. We, we take a step further in taking our walk and our life, just our life, our plans more seriously. That our intentionality, Lord, would increase. That we would know this truth and we would walk in freedom this year. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Give uh, somebody, I don't know, a big hug on the way down and you can take your seat. Make sure you get consent. Uh, My name is uh, Andrew. I was about to say my name is Pastor Andrew. That's not my name. 
My name is Andrew. I am uh, a pastor here at Sanctuary Church. We are uh, three congregations uh, across this beautiful city, um, and we are one, though, unified church, and we are a network, a movement of uh, what we call outposts, which are home churches and missions, understanding that the church is not a building or a service, but a people in the world. This is Pastor Sarah. Pastor Sarah. I just assume people will clap for her because they never clap for me. Um, kidding. Um, a little resentful. Um, uh, Pastor Sarah and I are going to uh, unpack a little bit uh, of uh, part of our vision that uh, I got to share in the end of the fall, uh, which was kind of geared around this, this, a number of things, but the big thing it was geared around was recognizing where we are uh, as a church and where we are in a cultural moment and realizing there were to use a sports analogy, there were three plays that needed to be called. You know the kind of plays you need to call based on the clock, based on the conditions. And so one was seeking God for spiritual awakening. If you missed last Sunday, I would tell you, please listen to the podcast. But something happened with the podcast and it didn't work. And I say that because it just is one more reminder of why I like get there every Sunday. Uh, <laughs> Um, but we're going to be uh, continuing this year to press into prayer for spiritual awakening, for revival, and increase hunger and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Uh, one we're going to be talking about next week was is just a mission, pressing into innovative mission and really helping our church not be on mission in terms of big programming that are just organized from the staff, but mission that is deployed and things that God's put on your heart, that you as an individual may have a heart to do something and we can provide you the coaching and the space and the money to be able to do that thing. And so we'll talk a bit about that on Martin Luther King Sunday next week. This week, though, was our third play call, which is we, uh, in this cultural moment, though honestly it's been throughout all of history that we have been walking as a church uh, that we need to take seriously our formation, who we're becoming and what it means to grow closer to Jesus. And so I'm going to uh, share for a bit, and then you should have received the tool. Can everyone hold up your, your, your big square that says path on it? You should have gotten one of these. If you didn't, would you throw your hand up right now if you did not get one? And someone's going to bring one to you, these two gentlemen up front. And a couple people over here. So keep that hand up, and you'll get one uh, in a moment. This is, uh, uh, we're going to talk about this thing called the rule of life. The rule of life. And uh, hopefully over the course of the next two hours, you're going to get part sermon and part workshop as we want to help you take the next step. And just having, when I say this, I kind of said this already, you would have the resolve in your heart that this is the year you grow deeper. This is the year that you um, don't become a good Christian, that you are better at being a Christian that you are, are, are following Jesus with more fervor and passion and zeal than ever before. This line that I love to repeat uh, is the value of the possession is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. How much you value something shows up in how you organize your life. So I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, I want to start, though, first with, a, with a, just, I don't know if it's a funny story or a really sad story. Um, but the other day I'm having dinner with some really, really good friends of ours. Um, and these are the kinds of friends that you can like let your hair down with. I hope you have friends like that. Um, it's just friends that you can just be really honest with, right? You just, you can be real and it just feels like a judgment-free zone or at least they're really good fakers. They may gossip about you when you leave every time, but they for some reason still entertain you and make you feel really at home. And so this couple, like from the very beginning of them showing up to our church, I remember my, my wife and I were like this couple. We, I just know. We could feel it as we walked away from brunch. Like, they, they just are so safe. And sometimes that's a little hard for, for pastors. So anyway, we're over the house having dinner. And my wife um, uh, drops this, this bomb that was familiar to her. It wasn't really a bomb. She just mentioned something. It was familiar to another, another bomb that she had dropped months before. And basically, this is the quick backstory. story. Um, her family and my family very different, very different family cultures. Uh, what we allow, what we don't, what's okay, what's not, I'm not moralizing anything in what I'm about to say. I'm trying to be really careful. I have a script I have to follow from my wife in the story. I did get it approved. <laughs> but, well, that was nice. Um, but, uh, so here, here's the story. We are, um, we're sitting there on the couch, we're talking, and um, 
we're recounting how uh, our families respond to hospitality and how they respond to people coming over. And over Christmas break, I had brought my nephew, who was at my parents' house, and my daughter Harper. I, we had go, gone over to their house to make gingerbread houses. They were making gingerbread houses. Now, I didn't know in the bottom household, gingerbread houses is apparently an adult activity that is crazy competitive. In my mind, it's like a kid activity, and I knew they were going to include my six-year-old daughter. So I'm thinking I can invite my four-year-old nephew, who's one of the most well-behaved boys in the history of the world. So I invite him over. I don't tell them. I told Corey at the last possible second, she's like, oh, my family doesn't respond well to that. And I'm like, please, it's fine. That's ridiculous. If anything, this is good for them. Like I'm turning it into like a prophetic teaching her whole family moment. I have a problem. So I, I, I walk in, Isaiah is his name. So Isaiah and I and Harper, we roll in and I could tell there's just like, no, no, like grumbling. I don't really think anything of it. Ends up being a great night. Gingerbreads is wonderful. Now, this is almost a month ago now, right? Three weeks ago now. So we're at our friend's house. This is on Friday night, this past Friday night. And she goes, oh man, my family, when they heard that, they had like a family meeting before you came over. Well, I hope, I hope Andrew's going to watch the kid. And I hope, and I hope, and I hope. And they're going around from like all the sisters were there and all the parents were there. And I'm sitting there and I'm like kind of laughing it off but my blood's kind of boiling a little bit. Now, this is not a big thing. But here's, here's the, 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 the kind of crux of the story. On the way home, she, so she shares this in front of our two other friends. And she had done something very similar like a year before. So I just start like thinking I'm like kind of laughing about it, goofing about it. So why do you think they did that? Should I apologize? And I notice she's like having none of it. She doesn't want to talk about it. And so slowly, she's just being calm and contained, and my, like, heat is just rising. Went from, like, a, oh, can we have a funny conversation about the fact that you seem to say certain things that involve your family only in front of other people? Is this so I won't get upset? This is not, like, this is not what it means to be vulnerable in a marriage. And I take this thing from, like, little speck to boulder in the course of a 10-minute car ride, that by the time we get into the house, um, we are like, we need to go to counseling. And like, I have, anyone else? Like, <laughs> like things start really small and then they begin to grow. This is like how life works. Small little laughs to massive fights, right? If you want to know how to ruin your life, it's just one small compromise at a time. Because the small stuff gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? No one just becomes like an addict. It's small choices that happen over and over and over. Something went unattended. And so a friend of mine says, when whatever you nurture, you grow. Whatever you nurture, you grow. How did this little thing become that? How did... Anybody married or in a serious relationship know what I'm talking about, whether you're the instigator or somebody else, right? It's just like this small thing all of a sudden is everything that's wrong with the world, culture, our marriage, your upbringing. Like I have a gift slash a curse of turning that thing up to 100. My wife just loves it. <laughs> How did that thing become this? Whatever you nurture, you grow will grow. But the same works, if it works in the negative, it's going to work in the positive, right? The same rule applies to the negative as applies to the positive. This is why we love before and after pictures when it comes to the gym, right? Small acts of going to the gym, eating a little bit more kale than you would like to, which usually is none, like a little bit more running, a little bit of time at the gym where you see nothing and then all of a sudden you see everything. I used to be a night owl. I would stay up till two in the morning before we had kids. I knew I needed to get this under control. If I needed to get to bed earlier, if I wanted to have any happy time with my wife, if I wanted to be pleasant to her in the morning and then once kids came, it was like, if I want to be functional in the morning. And I realized, I think I'm still really bad at getting to bed and really bad at getting up early in the morning. But my wife pointed out this morning as we were talking a little bit about the sermon, she's like, actually, Andrew, that's a great example. You used to not be able to barely pull yourself out of bed like before nine o'clock, it was a pain point. And now you're up every morning at 6.45, whether I like it or not. Small things, what you nurture will grow. 
And so is this going to be the year we start to think about like training in things that matter even more than, let's say, your body? 1 Timothy 4. If you want to turn in your script Bibles to 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. I love how he throws in here. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. It's not like full consideration, like just accept it. Train yourselves. And by the way, a little later on in the same chapter, he says, do not neglect your gift. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of, we could say, of life. Train yourself for, for godliness. This word train here is literally the word where we get the word gymnasium. Don't neglect your gifts. Your walk with Jesus should be more, less like a classroom and more like a gym for spiritual formation. To train, to train, to train. And I use this word training on purpose. Timothy, I think, uses this word training on purpose. It's not try to be godly. Again, like we said before, God is completely opposed to you earning anything. You're not earning his love by trying harder. But he loves your effort. Draw near to me. Adhere to my teachings. I want you to live the full life that you have. There is a difference between training and trying. John Ortberg talks about this. And he has this great little kind of funny picture about training and trying. He says this. Imagine for a minute. Close your eyes if that's helpful. Imagine for a minute. Someone, you get a knock at the door, and it's two gentlemen who look like they're out of men in black. Right? And they're like, can we come in, sir? And they flash their, like, credentials. And they walk in, you sit down on the couch. And all of a sudden, they start to tell you, hey, every shot you've ever had in the doctor's office, we've also been, like, taking blood, and, like, we've been watching you. We've been testing you. We've been, like, evaluating you for the last 20-something years of your life, 30-something years of your life. And we've been following you forever. And they explain it all and what they're doing. And they lay down all these studies and all this data. And they tell you, basically, that you have the greatest capacity to be the greatest marathon runner ever. They're like, you have everything, everything about your biology, everything about how you are wired, everything about you and your mind. You are the greatest marathon runner. You could be the greatest marathon runner ever. They explain it all to you. You're like, this is amazing. This is strange. And so you go and you buy your best pair of short shorts and you get those spandex that look really good, that look really bad. And you get some nice running shoes on and you hit, I don't know, you hit like the boulevard and you start to hit Blackstone, you start to run. And, if, and I imagine myself in this story, I get to about 100 meters and I'm like, mm, this does not feel like my destiny, no. And then I get to about the 400 meter, the 800 meter and I'm like, I'm going to puke, this is not Okay. Right? Because I, I set out, I'm like, I just was told I had the capacity to be the greatest marathon runner ever. No matter how much possibility and potential you have, it's not achieved through trying. It's not achieved through trying. It's achieved, John Orberg says, through training. Not all of a sudden going, anyone else feel discouraged this time of year, maybe even in church, where everything is like, you can do it. The power of the resurrected Jesus is inside of you. You can do everything. I've seen you move the mountains. Lord, you can move me again. And we just sort of step into our life going, this is the year I'm going to crush it. Full of love, full of generosity, full of goodness, no anxiety. God's in me, just a little more faith. And yet it's interesting in the scriptures, if we watch the disciples with Jesus, in the passage we just looked at, train yourself for this. Trying will not work. The way in which I get to be a place where I can run a marathon, like bring it into real life, is I've got to like run slow. I'm going to have to probably run about a mile a day and then start to work into it, right? I may or may not have to let go of certain habits so I can breathe better, right? I need to like, there's going to be things I need to train my body and then all of a sudden, just like I can get up at 6.45 a.m. with the best of them. Not happy, but I can get up. Man, the same way, in the same way I might be able to run that marathon, all of a sudden you look back and it's because I have trained. This is what Jesus is doing with his disciples. Small, unheroic goals. So I want, want you for a minute before Sarah gets up here and, and walks us through this. I want to turn your attention to a very pivotal moment in the life of Jesus. And this is in John 15, if you want to turn there. John 15. Let's see if this clicker works. Oh, it does. Look at that. Oh. Nope, we're too far. 
I don't know. I don't know what happened to you. No, sorry. There you go. John 15. So uh, they, they, uh, sociologists say um, in some of the studies that I've read, the best actually way to die is actually a death where you have like a t- some kind of timeline. I always thought the best way to die would be like taking a motorcycle and just driving it off a cliff into the Grand Canyon or something. Uh, not to minimize motorcycle accidents. I just, I just figured like an instantaneous like death, right, would be the best way to go. And they say in terms of like as far as they can like kind of tell and read of like entire family units, uh, the best way to die is actually where you have some sort of set time for closure in your life. And so this passage here is actually Jesus' parting goodbye. Um, it's in right, when people know they're on their deathbed, they give those final farewells. They give maybe that last bit of advice. Maybe they remind you of how they feel about you. They want to leave you with something. So these are Jesus' parting words. This is in his upper room discourse. And he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Like this isn't about earning anything. You're clean. My grace is upon you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. If you're taking notes, just write the word remain. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must, there it is again, remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you, here it is again, remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Remain, 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 remain. Some translations say abide. It's the Greek word meno, and it means make your home in. Stay united with me. Jesus' final words of his life is to make your home in God. Like Sanctuary Church right here, 2020, January, hear this. Like, here's his words to us. Anchor your life in God. Move through your days with God. He says, this is how you'll bear fruit, which, right, in an agrarian society is like basically the equivalent modern day translation of this is how you will crush it. In the holiest sense. This is how you will be just loving and alive and centered and empathetic and generous and free. This is how you will be fully who you were created to be. Rest, abide, make your home in me. And so this sounds great, but how? And the answer that the church has had for centuries now has been this word or this term, a rule of life. This term basically comes from the picture of like a trellis. If you've ever been to a vineyard where you see grapes growing in a trellis, which is the logical conclusion of this passage that these church fathers said, it will refer to abide in him, abide in the vine. They use this language of, well, we need to actually make sure then that these vines are healthy and bearing fruit. For a vine to bear fruit, it needs to remain on a support structure to lift up off the ground and to point it in a certain direction. I don't know if you've ever seen like a wild vine. A wild, <laughs> a wild vine will bear a fraction of the fruit it is capable of. A wild vine will bear almost no fruit and the little that it does is vulnerable to predators. Follow me? Like in the same way an apprentice of Jesus is to abide, to bear fruit. We need a support structure to create space for a life that is organized around relational connection to Jesus, to love God and to love neighbor. So a rule of life is like a set of practices to guard our habits and to guide our lives. It creates space and it creates time for us to journey toward Jesus. And in a minute, Sarah's gonna just share like the ways in which at our church we think about that culture of journey. We gotta create space and time, not because we're trying to earn something, but because we know where the life is. Because the value of the possession is seen in the intensity of, you could say the pursuit, you could also say in the intentionality that we have in our life. 
Because you can't grow in any relationship without time and intentionality. Your marriage and your friendship will not blossom. Show me on your calendar how much your relationships, friendships, church, marriage matters to you. Show me the time you spend together. That's how much it matters to you. I need the, the people who are feelers in the world, in the room, and people who are really like kind of in their heads in the room to hear that. I, it does, and I, I'm going to say this to you strong because I need to hear it strong. Because I am like the chief of sinners with this. Your words and cognitive desire and even intentions to love a family member, a spouse, a whatever it is, matters when we actually look at real life, at the time that you spend, at the intentionality you have around it, not in the words or poetry you cook up in your head. If we don't give ourselves over to, to Christ, if we don't say, I, I, if we don't allow our time and our rhythms to be dictated by time spent intentionally seeking after Jesus, it reflects back, not in a negative, shameful way, but how much we really value Christ. So a couple of things that this rule of life does. Turns ideas into reality. Helps us live in alignment with our deepest desires. We have real desires, and then we have our deepest ones. We have the things we say we want to do and want to be about, but then there's those things deep down below that we know are more true than anything else. And this path, this rule of life is going to help us experience peace. We achieve, the, one writer says, we achieve the deepest peace when our schedule is aligned with our values. If I was going to be like a heretic, I would insert that line into the Bible, right? Because I think it's, it's accurate. We achieve the deepest peace when our schedule is actually aligned with our values. So how do we build a trellis? How do we walk the path? How do we move from trying to follow Jesus to actually training? It's my job to take us now from the why to the how. Andrew got the why, I get the how. We actually talked about when we were prepping, like maybe this time, what if I did the inspiring vision and Andrew got all granular and detailed? And then we thought, now nah, we should just stick with what works. <laughs> so I get the how. This is my favorite thing, taking us from the why to the how through the what, which is this rule of life. So uh, the rule of life, <clears throat> this is an ancient concept, and it's also a really antiquated term. So when we hear the word rule, a lot of us are immediately linking that up with legalism. We're hearing this and saying, rules for my life? I don't think so. I don't want that. I am allergic to that. I do not. This does not sound appealing. And honestly, I have a lot of sympathy if that's what you're feeling right now, because that's not actually what this is. So the word rule here is more, it's not synonymous with law or legalism. It is more synonymous with measure or guide, like the same, the same word that um, we get where we, uh, the word ruler, it's like that kind of rule. And as Andrew said, it comes from this idea of a trellis. Um, and so it's kind of, we think of a rule of life as a plumb line, as a guide, or as a frame. Um, this is not supposed to be like rules as in law. So I just want to really be clear about that up front. Really simply, um, a rule of life is a plan that contains spiritual practices and rhythms and guidelines for your life that's designed to help you to follow the way of Jesus, to walk the way of Jesus. It's a plan to help you be a disciple, to be an apprentice of Jesus, to follow Jesus and to walk in his way. Um, and because we believe that the way of Jesus is the best possible way to live, we actually believe that a rule of life is one tool that will help us to experience more of the life and the truth and the beauty and the joy of his way of life. Um, so it's really important to note that a rule of life does not produce the fruit it does not produce the fruit. It is merely the frame or the structure on which the life grows. So just like a trellis. The trellis does not produce the fruit, but it helps the vine to produce 
fruit. And in, in this way, the rule of life is the frame and the Holy Spirit is the sunshine and the rain and the soil that actually produces the fruit. But the rule of life is the frame on which the fruit grows. So um, what is a rule of life? Some people's rule of life is incredibly simple and just has a couple of practices. Other people's rules of life are much more complex with daily and weekly and monthly and annual rhythms, different practices, principles. So it's, there's no kind of one size fits all for a rule of life. The most important thing is that the rule that you choose for yourself fits you. It needs to be helpful for you or it's not a good rule. It should reflect your personality enough that it feels natural, but not so much that it doesn't stretch you. And that's kind of a, a really fine line to walk there, but it should feel good to you, uh, but not so easy that it doesn't stretch you. So here's um, a quote that I found really helpful. The Northumbria community, which is a monastic community in the, in the um, United Kingdom, they write this. A rule works best when it challenges us. It can't be so easy that we are not stretched, but neither can it be so demanding that we have difficulty eating, even meeting its minimum standards. Otherwise, it's likely to discourage us and therefore to defeat its own purpose. A rule is not there to make us feel good or feel bad, but to help our individual growth in spiritual maturity. If it becomes hard to follow, becomes a burden, or causes you feelings of guilt, then give it up. It is not for you. So that's really important to know up front what you're crafting and what we're going to invite you to craft. It should not feel like a burden. It should feel like a gift. Okay, so I want to walk us through how we're thinking about a rule of life here at Sanctuary. So we've put together kind of a framework, and it's the card that you've been given. And so you can put the first slide up on the screen. This card, this is how we are going to depict and talk about rule of life here at Sanctuary. So Sanctuary, we describe the journey of discipleship, walking the way of Jesus, learning to follow him as being lived out in four directions. And you, if you've been around Sanctuary for a while, you've heard us talk about these directions. We journey upward, being with Jesus. We journey inward, becoming like Jesus. We journey outward, doing what Jesus did. And then we journey withward, doing this entire way of life together. So I'm going to take a moment to walk us through each direction. We have some descriptions that we have written for each direction. And I think it's worth reading those to you just so you understand our heart behind each of these directions. So um, you can read along with me. Uh, the first direction, upward, being with Jesus. We believe that having a deep and connected relationship with God is the best possible way to live. We celebrate the divine and the daily, pursuing lives of hope, gratitude, and worship. We believe worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of the mind with his truth, the purifying of the imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of the will to his purpose. All this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. So upward, the, the direction of learning to be with Jesus, have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Next, we journey inward. We want to become like Jesus. We believe that God wants to bring about a new humanity by redeeming every part of us, making us more like Jesus. We embrace the salvation Jesus offers as the only hope for the healing of our relationships with God, each other, ourselves, and creation. We believe that all of life is spiritual and that all of our fears, failures, and brokenness can be restored and made whole. We value the inner journey because we want to be fully integrated people, mind, body, and soul, all offered together to God. So the inward journey takes us inside. It takes us to places that sometimes we don't want to go or don't want to see, but this is really important in our discipleship. It's not just that we be with Jesus, but that we become more like him. Next, we journey outward. This is the journey, the direction of mission. So led by the Spirit, we are passionate about joining God in the renewal of all things, announcing and living out the transforming message of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus calls his church to do what he did. And we believe that the church is at its best when it serves, sacrifices, and loves, caring about the things God cares about. We were created to live for something 
larger than ourselves. And so we talk about demonstrating and announcing the good news that Jesus is king. We demonstrate this with our lives as we pursue issues of justice and wholeness in the world. And then we announce with our words and we speak to the hope that is within us. So this is the journey of the outward journey of mission. And then lastly, we journey withward, which is our way of talking about community. We are called to journey together as one body. We value the image of God in all people everywhere. We believe that we were created to live deeply with one another, carrying each other's burdens, sharing our possessions, to pray for and confess our sins to each other, to suffer and celebrate together. It's in these honest, loving relationships that God transforms us and truth becomes a reality. The way of Jesus cannot be lived alone. And I want to repeat that. The way of Jesus cannot be lived alone. And so while we're inviting you to craft these individual rules of life, the withward direction is so essential. You cannot do this on your own. All right, so that is one frame that we're applying to the rule of life is that we're going to invite you to craft your rule around these four journeying directions. The second frame, you'll notice on the card, you'll see the words engage and resist. And this refers to practices of engagement and practices of resistance. So if you want to click to the next slide. Practices of engagement. This is when we add something to our life to help us to walk the way of Jesus. So the question to ask when we think about disciplines of engagement is, yeah, what can I add in that will help me to follow Jesus better? So maybe you add an upward practice of daily prayer, waking up early to be with Jesus. Or maybe you add an outward practice of regular serving and volunteering somewhere in the city. You add something into your life to better help you walk the way of Jesus. Next slide, the disciplines of resistance, practices of resistance. This is where we remove something from our life to better follow and walk the way of Jesus. So for example, many of us in this two weeks, we are fasting. We are removing food or media or something else for a season to better connect with Jesus and to better follow Jesus. Another um, example would be, you know, in the withward direction, what do you need to cut out of your life so that you can make attending a home group feasible every week? That's something that a lot of, we're so busy. What do we need to cut so that we can actually commit to journeying together. Does that make sense? So there, these are things that we remove from our lives so that we can better follow the way of Jesus. So just a note, you will not, you don't need to have one or a certain number of practices in every single slice of this circle. You don't need to have a, a discipline of engagement and resistance in every direction. It's there as a frame to help you to think more creatively about what a rule could look like. So don't feel like this is a, like a, a really tight box that you have to have eight practices. Does that make sense? Um, so we put all this together, and then we walk through. Tino, you can click through the next four slides. The upward direction, practices of engagement and resistance, inward, outward, and withward. And that is how we're going to craft our rule. So I wanted to show you some examples because that's all very theoretical, and I wanted to just give you some real-life examples. So uh, Greg and I, my husband and I, tried to map our rules of life onto this frame. And so I'm going to show you ours. So this one is mine. Um, I'm not going to walk you through every single thing that's on there, but I wanted to just highlight a couple of things. Uh, first, you'll notice that there are some practices that are daily, some that are weekly, and some that are monthly. Um, there's things that I need to do every day, and then there's other things that I don't do quite as often. You'll also notice, so I'm an extrovert, raging extrovert. Anytime I take any of those tests, I score 100% extrovert. I do not enjoy being by myself. And so you'll notice I have a lot of practices on there that actually reflect that. Some of my favorite things are guided meditation, having a phone call with a friend, praying with Greg. There's a lot of communal things on there. And that, that makes this rule enjoyable for me. You'll also notice that weekly I try to practice solitude because that is actually what transforms me. That's a resistance discipline in the inward direction for me because that gets at why is it difficult for me to be alone. And that is a way that I journey inward. Um, 
And then, oh yeah, the other thing I wanted to point out in the um, engage section of the uh, mission. So you'll see I wrote open dinner table. That is not necessarily a practice as much as a principle. In our home, other than Friday night, which is our family night, we have a principle that our dinner table is always open. It is always okay for any of us to invite someone to our table. If someone's in our house at 4.59 and everyone's coming home at 5 o'clock, they're getting a dinner invitation. And that's on our rule of life. It's on Greg's too because that is a way that will shape things that we can't plan for. So you might want to get more specific and say, I want to have a practice of inviting someone over to dinner once a month. But for us, it's more helpful to say our dinner table is open, and that is what actually helps us to plan for things we can't control, if that makes sense. All right, so that, um, that's mine. I wanted to quickly show you Greg's and just a couple of things that, um, that Greg's highlights for us. So you'll notice one thing is that practices often kind of are fluid between the categories. It's not like solitude or silence fits just neatly in in. Greg put silence over on the right in between practices of worship and healing because for him, again, silence is getting at something inside his heart that he needs to deal with, but it's also one of the best ways that he connects with Jesus. And so for him, it's a practice both that is inward and that is upward. Um, He also put limiting screens and media. I thought this was so interesting. He put it in the resist category of mission and community. And I asked him about that, and he said, well, community is obvious, right? Screens and media help, they pull us out of being present to our family or to our friends. But he also said something that I just thought was so profound. Media embeds and, you know, colonizes our minds with stories that are not true, about the world and about the kingdom of God, and they kind of dull our senses to what is actually true. And so for Greg, being able to engage in mission, he needs to fill his mind with stories that are true and disengage sometimes. We don't want to be totally hermits, but he needs to disengage from media in order to focus on the kingdom of God and on mission. So I thought that was really interesting. So anyway, just the... the um, The directions are all fluid. Also, like when we practice inward disciplines, I am a better mother, wife, pastor when I'm practicing the inward direction. So the inward direction actually helps me to practice the withward direction better. All right, so what I want to do right now um, as we wrap is we want to walk you through. This is like the workshop part. Just going to take a few minutes to walk you through how would you go about beginning to craft this rule of life for yourself. If you're in a home group, you're going to get to do this in more depth and detail over the coming weeks. And we also have an event coming up, which we'll share about that in a few minutes. But today, you were given a blank piece of paper when you walked in. And so I want you to pull that out and grab a pen. And I'm just going to lead us through a very simple process focusing on the upward direction. So Tino, you can put the upward slide up. Um, And I just, uh, I'm going to help you think about where would you even start as you think about crafting rules. So the first step is to dream. So Tina, you can click ahead. The first step is to, to spend some time thinking about, so for the upward direction, what do you long for your relationship with God this year to be like? How specifically do you want to grow in intimacy and connection with God this year? It's important to have some dreams and have some longings and have some goals. And so I want to give you just a minute right now to journal about that, to write on that piece of paper. What are some words that come to mind? What are some things that come to mind? If you're brand new to church, brand new to following the way of Jesus, it might just be, I want to know if God is real. That could be your dream. I want to know if this is all true. So go ahead and just take a minute, and then I'll move us along in a minute.
Okay, that is obviously not nearly enough time, and I'm going to encourage you to take this home and work on it at home, but I'm going to move us on to the next step. So after you have a sense of what you're longing for, what your goal is, it's like on any journey, that's the destination. We can't chart a course from here to there unless we really know where we're starting from. And so the next step, next slide, is to assess reality. We have to know where we're starting from. We have to know ourselves. So part of it is thinking about your personality. What practices do you enjoy? Some of those should be on your rule. Where do you need to be stretched? What is your life stage? If you have kids, little kids, your rule of life is going to look really different than if you don't. And actually, speaking to parents, at the table event that we'll talk about in a minute, in a couple weeks, when we talk about rule of life, we will have some resources for families to think about creating a family rule of life and rules of life for your kids. So take a moment. There's some questions and prompts up on the screen. There's too many there for the time that I'm going to give you, but focus on one or two and just reflect on where are you starting from? Take some time to think about reality. Okay, obviously not enough time. You can take a a picture of the screen. Um, This is also, these questions are in a workbook, a rule of life workbook that you'll get in home groups. If you're not in a home group, we have a few copies at the Next Steps Bar. So if this is like really something you want to dig into deeper and you're not part of a home group, though, that prompt, I want to say join a home group. Um, But uh, there are a few at the Next Steps Bar. Anyway, then the last step before you actually commit to practices that you want to add to your rule is to brainstorm. What kind of practices do I want to add? Uh, what principles would make sense for my life? What are the rhythms daily, weekly, monthly, annually? Um, and again, consider what comes naturally to you and what doesn't. We have, so some of you are like, I don't know. Like, where do I even start? I know the ones you just mentioned. We have put together a resource for you, and um, there's a slide that has the website. If you go to this website, and you can do that right now, sanctuaryri.org slash path, you'll scroll down and click on a button that takes you to this site, our day one site, where we have listed, it's not a comprehensive list, but it's a great place to start. We've organized some classic spiritual practices by direction. And so when you click on daily prayer, fixed hour prayer, Christian reading, it'll open up a page that tells you what that practice is and ideas for how to practice it. I'm really excited about this resource. I think it's going to be very helpful to you. So pull it up on your phone right now. Go over to the upward section and scroll around. I'm just going to give you a couple um, seconds to look at that. But this is how you brainstorm. You also talk to people who have a rule of life and ask them uh, what they're doing. So just take a moment to brainstorm and then pull us back together.
The idea of sort of trying to squish a little workshop here in the middle of a Sunday sermon is to just allow you to get your hands on it just for a moment. That these four directions that mirror what it is to be a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus, upward and being like him, inward and being made whole by him, outward and doing what he did, and withward and doing it in community, that the practices that will help us get on that path to be able to become more aware of the kind of practices you need to help you get on that path. What will help you become somebody who is more deeply connected with Jesus? What are the things you need to cut out or take hold of? Where's the the unhealth in your life that you just have this sense? If, If I started to just practice a little bit of this, the simple practice of gratitude every day, for me journaling, you might think that's such a small thing. If you're someone like me, journaling for 10 minutes a day, I have already seen just over the course of a couple weeks, unbelievable fruit and becoming more aware of what's happening in my heart, what I need to pray for, why I'm reacting the way I'm reacting. What are the small ways that we can start to train? Small ways that we can help us get on the path. Are we going to be intentional? In Hebrews, it talks about how we are prone to drift. Drifting just requires a lack of intentionality. When a boat drifts, it's just because it's not anchored. That we would be people as we enter into this new year with like an actual plan. (laughs) That we would take this simple practice seriously. Now, as Timothy reminds us, how great it is to care about your physical health. There is something even more for you to spend your energies and your time on and with. And if we're honest, as we close today, this is a bit of a tough sell for some of us. Some of us who are internally motivated or love putting together structures and schedules and training and you're already a super disciplined person, I pray this is just a gift for you to go further. But for a lot of us, this is a tough sell. We get this subtle cultural message that rules are bad, that rules constrict us, that rules restrain us from our freedom versus setting us free to become our best selves. And there's unbelievable amounts of empirical data that show that the deepest part of us crave order. There's too much structure, we suffocate, which is why this is a gift to help us thinking about the sorts of trellises that will help us. But too much freedom, and I mean that like not a Christian definition of freedom, too much of Providence's version of freedom, like do whatever you want, do like what makes you happy. Like just, it, it actually like causes anxiety. Long historical cultural studies show that when you get this sort of hyper-secular version of freedom, it produces so much anxiety. It's like looking at a Cheesecake Factory menu. Right? It's hell. I want four things that were curated by a chef that I know are all good. I can just go like this, Cheesecake Factory, oh my Lord. It's like everything that's in the supermarket right there. We know this about mental health, that kids don't do well without rules, law, and order across the board. There's no like, well, some kids don't know. Like all kids do better with more order. And so it's important as we go that you already, to know this, you already have a rule of life. All of us do. If it's written or unwritten, intentional or unintentional, whether you're aware of it or not, wise or foolish, it's based on a long-term vision of the kind of person you want to grow into. Or it's built on a short-term like instant gratification, like I'm just gonna live my life based on how I feel in a given moment. You have a basic way you live, a morning routine, muscle memory around your phone and how often you grab it, a sleep pattern, ways that you spend your money, your diet. The question isn't, do you have a rule of life? It's, do you know what it is? And do you know what your rule of life is doing to you? Do you know the choices that you make, what they're actually doing long-term? Are they producing help and good grapes on that vine or not? One philosopher says, first we make our choices and then our choices make us. First we make our choices, but then the choices that we make, make us. Are our choices pointed 
Are our habits helping us get onto the path of following Jesus? Are they helping us become more free and generous and alive? Are they? Are they? Grace alone, Aaron Nyquist says, grace alone makes the river flow, but we have to wade into the water. Grace alone makes the vine grow, but we need to build the trellis. Grace alone makes the wind blow, but spiritual practices, a rule of life, help us humbly open the window day by day and moment by moment. The invitation is to experience the fresh air. The invitation is to get in the water and get wet. God wants us to swim. He wants us to go deeper. And so as we close, we're gonna, um, just cause we're a little late, we're gonna put the communion out, communion servers. And at the end of the service, we're just gonna have a soft end and you're welcome to come and practice communion together if you'd like. Um, but we're gonna kind of formally end our time. If you wanna pray, if you wanna grab some of these resources, but we wanted to end with this before we kind of sing, sing a final refrain together and have a little bit of a soft close to our service. I wanted to share this. If service, you guys could just pause for one second. I wanna share this. An example, and there's many we can mention, but I was talking to, to Sarah in the office this last week. And I asked if, if it's a vulnerable story, but she just shared this because I think it, it gets at the heart of what happens when you have lived a life of training and, and rhythm and intentionality with the things of Jesus. The kind of fruit Jesus says, if you abide in me, remain in me, make my home in me. If you do this, if you're intentional about doing this, adhering to the things I've called you to do, practicing the way of Jesus together, if you do this, it will produce unbelievable fruit. Sarah had a story this week um, related to her mom um, about what this fruit might, might look like. Yeah, so uh, many of you know that my mom <clears throat> is very sick. She has what's called multiple systems atrophy, which is a neurological disorder that over the last three years has taken all of her mobility. She can't walk, it's taken her speech, she can't talk, she can't write, she can't bathe herself, she can't feed herself, she can't go to the bathroom by herself. She is confined to a chair and confined to her mind. And um, recently at a doctor's appointment, she and my dad went to a doctor's appointment and they always check her quality of life. They ask her to rank her quality of life on a scale from zero to 10. And my mom with, you know, very difficult, a lot of difficulty pointed to an eight. And my dad and the doctors and I, I mean, we're shocked, an eight. I can barely point to an eight some days, you know? But this is a woman who has spent 50 years since she's become a Christian putting herself in the water. When I was a baby and a toddler, my mom says the greatest gift that my dad gave to her and the only thing she asked him for when she was a stay-at-home mom was one hour a day with the Lord. That was all she wanted. Not one hour a day to go shop or do whatever she wanted. One hour a day with the Lord. That's what she wanted. My mom has followed a way of life that is very disciplined and it is beautiful. She's been training, not just trying, and what she has nurtured over those 50 years has grown to the point where for her truly, she can, she embodies Paul's words in Philippians, to live is Christ and to die is gain. She's ready to die. We had that conversation a year ago when we thought this was the end, but here she is still living in a way that most of us would consider worse than death. And for my mom, she says, no, it's an eight because I have Jesus. And because I have a husband who loves me and loves Jesus and walks this path with me, she's in an eight. It's beautiful. You can thank Jesus for that. And maybe this little prayer that we're gonna close with in singing is difficult for you this morning. And so I invite you to maybe consider it, singing it with faith, extending a little bit of faith. Maybe for some of you, this prayer will be right where you are at. 
And we wanted to sing this together to kind of seal this moment as we step into our home groups, our home churches this week, as we maybe like take some time with our spouses tonight before the week starts and we fill some of this out, as we begin to map the next year and the sorts of practices we wanna build in, the kinds of things we need to stop doing and start doing that we may bear the sort of fruit that, that we have, this abundant life we can walk into. And so this chorus is really simply, simple, all I want and all I need, more of you, less of me. Jesus, all I want is to be like you. It's like Jesus loves me, this I know all over again. It's just this simple prayer and reminder, Lord, I know that you are where the life is and I trust you and you, Lord, say when I draw near to you, you draw near to me and I wanna be on the path of walking in the life you have for us. So if you would, would you lift up your voices as we pray? Community, you can kind of put the... uh, community things out and we'll close our time and if you'd like to still come and take the Eucharist you can come and do that so let's sing together